This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. So today I actually, I had a bunch of different things I wanted to talk about, and I don't actually think I'm going to get to all of the different things. So I'm just going to start somewhere. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with uh, uh, this last week was spring break for a lot of people, I think. And, uh, and I heard some really lovely tales of relaxation happening this week from people who were on spring break and, and actually had some time to sit around, mosey to mosey from one place to another. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's uh, maybe that's a kind of a rare thing to do. I certainly feel that it's rare to, to do in my life, um, which is strange given that you'd think that um, being a head teacher of a Zen center, that you'd have a lot of like spaciousness. <laughs> but I think actually the training of uh, spaciousness of finding spaciousness, um, there's a balance between coming to the Zendo for your spaciousness, right? I mean, how many people come to the Zendo to find your spaciousness? Yeah? Sometimes. Does anybody not find spaciousness in their Zazen? Ever? <laughs> Ever? You've never found spaciousness? Yeah. But, but there are times when you don't find spaciousness, right? Sometimes you come to Zazen and actually it's all cramped and achy and you realize that your mind is insane, <laughs> right? And, and actually, it's like that's kind of, being in the Zen is kind of like being in a, uh, a nursery. <laughs> it's like having training wheels for the real world, right? Because really, when you come to a place like a Zen center and you look at a, you stare at a wall, right? Uh, what what is there other than your own mind to distract you? Right, you don't have your phone going off. Hopefully, <laughs> um, you know your cat isn't trying to sit on you or play with your hair or whatever. Right, and so you can find this this is kind of like. There's a place for everyone here, right? It's called a zapaton. <laughs> and it could have a, a zafu on it. It could have a chair on it, right? Some people sometimes uh, stand, you know, do a standing meditation through zazen. Uh, not so much here. I haven't seen anyone do it here. But, but you have a place here that's kind of like your space, right? This like three by three, maybe, if you're lucky, space um, in which we find our, uh, our spaciousness. We find some spaciousness or at least we uh, open ourselves to the possibility, which in and of itself is huge, right? Because normally we rush around and we have a very scheduled life. And even if we are not so good at scheduling ourselves, things just come up and the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing, right? Even to the point where coming to the Zendo might be something that you rush to. Right? I've definitely had that experience where I'm like, I'm late to Zazen! <laughs> Get out of my way! Gotta find some spaciousness! <laughs> Silly, but, but you know, so true, so human of us to, um, yeah, we'll take it where we can find it, spaciousness. Now, um, 
this spaciousness also involves a certain kind of relaxation. So if you find that you're struggling in your zazen all the time, I mean, it's, it's fine to struggle. There's some struggle that's healthy, necessary struggle, right? The struggle to sit upright, right? The struggle to, to keep focused on your posture and your breath. And uh, as opposed to the latest, greatest story that your brain has concocted about why it's this way or that way, right? To be able to come back to sitting uh, in stillness and silence and quieting our bodies and minds and actually being able to find our breath and to release, to surrender to the moment, this very moment, right? So... Um, because it's my birthday, actually not really, but I'm gonna ask everyone right now to um, give me the gift of your uh, complete presence to your, uh, your space, where you are right now. So and you can close your eyes or you can keep them open. In Zazen, we normally keep our eyes open. But right now, feel your body where it is Feel your breath. See if you can trace your breath from the inhalation all the way to the apex of the inhalation and all the way back out. Feel your breath leaving your body, returning to the air in the room. Noticing your posture. Noticing any sense objects, whether it's sounds, sensations, feelings, smells, and whether there are any ideas that come up in this examination, any ideas. And like a swinging door, as Suzuki Rishi called it, Allow yourself to be like a swinging door. Things come in, things go out. Where does that experience of presence, where does it land inside you or outside of you? Does it include your whole body? Does it include your whole mind? Is there any part of you that you feel doesn't belong or should be left out? And if it is, if there is some part that needs, that you feel like you notice there's an urge to leave it out, what is that like? Can you allow that too? As Pat mentioned this afternoon or this this morning, this late morning at 11:45, we're having a zazen instruction instruction 
This is for anybody who wants to come. Um, how many of you have had Zazen instruction sometime? Has anyone never had Zazen instruction? So um, the Zazen Instruction Instruction is a training for people who are open to teaching Zazen, to instructing others on how to sit Zazen. And is Zazen meditation? Is it a meditation instruction? Yeah, kind of. It is. But it's a lot bigger than that. I could pass laughing at me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? How could it not be meditation instruction? How could it not be meditation instruction? What is meditation? What is meditation? Gathering of the mind, right? A gathering of your heart, your body, and your mind, right, into this present moment. Right? That's a that's a kind of meditation. There are lots of different kinds of meditation, right? You can do meditation on an object. You can have an open meditation that's uh, focused on whatever's happening in the moment, which is more akin to zazen, right? How many of you have had numerous zazen instructions? Have, have gone to, have been instructed numerous times? Yeah. Were they different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> There's not like one, uh, one instruction. If you haven't been to a Zazen instruction, I highly recommend it. And if you've only been to one Zazen instruction, I recommend you go to more than one and hear different people's takes on Zazen. And further, I encourage everyone to imagine that a friend of yours asks you, what is Zazen? And that you have to come up with your own words and description of what Zazen is. Because you'll find, I think, that if for every friend that asks you, you'll come up with a different description. So it's kind of, um, it's not something that's easy to pin down in words. Although it could actually be very simple, right? Zazen, you can just say, Zazen is simply just sitting, not doing anything else, not thinking, not uh, strategizing, um, not planning your day, but just sitting, not daydreaming, not dreaming, <laughs> right? So Zazen instruction could be something very simple, and yet how we describe it, how it becomes alive for us individually is kind of the point, right? The point is to come into your own being completely. And letting go of any ideas you have about it. That's the hard part. How do you let go of any ideas and just be? And be open to that. Oftentimes, we find that we don't have the words to describe it. And so, um, because we're such uh, word-based, language-based creatures, when we can't find the words, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Right? And we could actually lose sight of a realm of our existence that is much bigger and much more vast than anything that can be put into words. Right? So how do, we, um, how do we open ourselves to that which is wordless? 
beyond our ideas and conceptions and deeply relaxing. Now, again, I don't, I don't want to say that Zazen is always relaxing, that it has to be relaxing, but I think you'll find that when you have a practice of Zazen, that there's a certain way of dropping into the present moment that brings along with it a spaciousness, a spaciousness that can contain and carry anything, even your stuckness, even the aches and pains in your knees or your shoulders or your feet falling asleep or your concerns about tomorrow or yesterday. That zazen is large enough to contain all of it. And within that, to be able to drop in and be completely yourself. So I wanted to also today talk a little bit about some changes that are happening in my life and probably in the life of the temple at some point, although I'm not sure how to talk about them because I'm not sure what they are yet. Um, as many of you know, I will be leaving uh, Austin in a few weeks, I guess two weeks time. I will be going to Tassajara, which is the home, my home monastery where I practiced for 10 years, and I'll be going there and meeting my teacher uh, during the work period that they have each spring to get ready for the guest season. And we'll have a Sangha week, a group of people, students from here going as well to participate in the work period for about five days, four days of, of uh, following the Zazen schedule and following the work schedule, eating, bathing, cleaning, uh, being together for five days, uh, including one day that's uh, a day off in the mountains uh, and wilderness of Tassajara. This time of year is beautiful. It's the spring there. It's the spring all over the northern hemisphere. But <laughs> at Tassajara, the wildflowers come out at this time of year, so it's very, very pretty. But it's also very cold. It can be very cold at night. Um, during the time that I'm there, I will be in a number of preliminary ceremonies getting ready for the uh, what's called Dharma transmission, which is kind of a secret thing, and people don't really talk about it so much. And so much so that despite being in the Zen world for over 20 years, I don't know much about it because it's kind of it's an esoteric uh, it's an esoteric thing. And not only that, but the descriptions of Dharma transmission, as I recall them, um, what happens during Dharma transmission is secret. And then afterwards, oftentimes, the person who has received Dharma transmission, at least in ancient China, they go off into the woods. And you don't, you don't see them. <laughs> and the, the ceremony itself is not a public ceremony. It all happens at like midnight in, the, in a dark room and nobody's invited. Wow. Ah, I'm not supposed to talk about this, obviously. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> thank you, Eric. 
Maybe I should change the subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my friend Greg Fain, who's the Tonto at Tassahar, or was he was the Tonto? He's no longer the Tonto there. Um, he, in because I need to know something about what to do in preparation. My, my preparation, by the way, for the Dharma transmission ceremony uh, is a twenty-one day. It's a twenty-one day ceremony. And meaning, like, including all the preliminary parts. Um, several people have suggested that I do the entire ceremony here at Austin Zen Center because there's a lot of participation that is requested from the community for being the jiko. Do you all know what a jiko is? The, the person who carries the incense. So at the beginning of service, if you notice, there's someone up at the altar, today was Chris, who lights the candles and then lights incense and stands there with the incense. And during the Dharma transmissions, not the Dharma transmission ceremony, but the preliminary ceremonies, they're, I guess you can consider them purification ceremonies um, in part, but also um, ceremonies of paying respect to the lineage. And so we have a number of uh, people in our lineage, all the way back to Shakyamuni Buddha, and one of the things that happens uh, that's public, a public part of it, is that for every day leading up to the actual nightly ceremonies, um, I will be offering vows to each ancestor and full prostrations and incense. So offering incense and speaking the name and vowing for every ancestor every day. That's one thing that will be happening. It's called Busarai. And I will need help with that because I need, um, I'll need people to ring the bell. And so we, I'm trying to think of a, a way to open it up so that people can sign up for various times um, and be, uh, be bell ringers. To ring the, it's going to be the, the large bell. And then the other aspect that happens that I'll start doing here at the Austin Zen Center is there will be a jundo, which is a kind of a walking around and offering incense at various altars. So I think at Tassajara, when I'm doing this, uh, uh, when I go to Tassajara, I continue this practice. I think there's maybe eight different altars that that happens to. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Greg Fain, as I mentioned, he, he sent me these, these notes uh, for pr preparation. This is the short form. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, there's, there's a, uh, a bunch of different, a jindo is a, a temple jindo is where uh, I'll go around to each altar, and depending on who's at the altar, I'll either offer full prostrations, standing vows, or uh, another kind of bow that I've never actually had to offer before, which is a big round, round bow that I have to be instructed on. Um, but having a jiko, someone who will uh, carry the incense and a bowing mat. So it's usually two attendants to do the this jundo. And at Tassajara it will happen before the wake-up bell. Every morning before the wake-up bell. And it's like you know, maybe eight or nine different altars all over Tassajara. So for those of you who don't know, Tassajara is about a quarter of a mile from end to end, and the bows will happen 
from not one all the way one end, but like halfway through. So they happen kind of at the Suzuki Roshi Memorial, which is a about a 20 minute hike. And then they happen at the bathhouse and then the Zendo, the kitchen, the Kaisando, different bathroom altars with different uh, uh, deities or bodhisattvas that represent those altars. And then some of those are standing bows, some of them are full bows, and some of them are these round, these big round bows. And so we're going to do that here. And I'm not sure yet what time, but um, if people would join me, um, there'll be opportunities for anyone who wants to get up very early <laughs> and join me in those uh, in that jundo uh, as part of the preliminary practice. So the sixth ancestor, uh, Hui Neng, of the Platform Sutra, there's a story of his Dharma transmission. He was an illiterate monk who basically came into a monastery and worked as the, uh, the grinder of the rice. He worked in the mill room. And the story is a whole arc of a story where uh, there's some, some competition happening around who would become the successor to the fifth ancestor. And there was a, a shoe-in, this shoe-so at the time, who uh, there was a contest. Everyone had to you know, present their understanding in, the, in a verse form. And the shoe-so, the head student, uh, even though he was a shoe-in, he was feeling a little um, shy about his understanding. So he decided rather than submitting his verse with his name on it, he would do it anonymously by writing it on the wall. And, and so everyone can see it. And then he'd hear what people thought before having to reveal that he wrote it. So he did that. And then the, then the sixth ancestor, who was not yet the sixth ancestor, wrote a response verse after somebody having somebody else read it to him. He narrated and had it written a response verse. And, and he ended up, short story, he ended up becoming, uh, being invited by the fifth ancestor to receive Dharma transmission. But because this was very controversial, because he not, not only could he not read, but he was a fairly new student and was not the shoo-in, it happened, the, the ceremony happened in secret. He was given the robe and the bowl of the fifth ancestor, and he was told by the, by the fifth ancestor, okay, now you better, you better leave, because <laughs> people might be very upset. So he had to sneak away in the night which he did, but not before people realized what had happened and went after him. So a bunch of monks from the monastery chased him into the woods, into the, into the mountains, and he had his robe and bowl, and at some point he decided he was going to put them down and hide. So he put them down on the ground, and he hid behind a rock. And all these monks with these torches came running up, and they found the robe and the bowl, and they tried to pick it up, and they couldn't. This is how the story goes. They weren't able to move it. Kind of like Excalibur. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't budge. Right? And eventually, after this discussion with the six, the, the then sixth ancestor, uh, they let him. They let him go, and he came over and picked up the robe and bowl, and magically they could be uh, picked up by him as the true successor. Right? And then the story goes that the sixth ancestor went off into the wilderness for some number of years. Um, which is kind of traditionally what happens after Dharma transmission. You kind of go away for a while and become a hermit until people find you 
and then you establish a community because people have sought you out and found you. Right. So, unfortunately, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> I don't get a prolonged leave of absence after Dharma Transmission. I will be returning to Awesome Zen Center right afterwards. And, um, and I guess I wanted to also just mention, so that people don't get too worried about things, I will have a bald head. Okay, so it's not that something's going on health-wise. It's just that I'm going to shave my head for the Busserai which means in about a week, a week's time, um, I'll be bald, which actually feels very natural to me, but it's been a while since I've shaved my head. So, yeah, I'll be all uh, shiny <laughs> uh, for a little bit. <clears throat> because I don't really know what this, I've never done this, and it's something that you can only, apparently, you're only supposed to do once. Dharma transmission is supposed to be a, you're kind of sealing the deal with your teacher. It is a, uh, you could call it an empowerment, you could call it a responsibility. Um, but what it means is that I will no longer be a novice priest. So I've, or I ordained in 2004, um, September of 2004, and the trajectory of uh, the path of a priest in the Zen world. It's a little bit different in Japan than it is in the United States, and the United States has its own kind of system that is being worked out because it's new. Um, although it being worked out in, um, in association with our Japanese forebears. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, because I don't know what it will mean, it will be an adventure, and um, I'm already starting to see that one aspect of receiving Dharma transmission is a certain amount of vulnerability. There is this, I think I mentioned in one of the Dharma talks recently, there is some part of the ceremony that will involve uh, crawling around on the floor as a ritual a kind of a ritual enactment of being a baby, okay? Um, and there's a number of different aspects of the ceremony. There are esoteric aspects that are kind of like, I don't know if it's, um, I don't want to say like reborn, but kind of like finding your place. There's a finding your place aspect of it. And because I don't know what it's going to be like or what, if anything, like, what happens? I do know that that in terms of the Dharma transmission, this question of like, what is it that's being transmitted? The answer is variable, but oftentimes the answer is nothing at all is being transmitted that hasn't wasn't already there. Okay, so it's not like I'm receiving something, but at the same time, something will something will happen. Something shifts. Um, Traditionally, as I said, it's not a public ceremony. It all happens in secrecy with like just a couple people in the room. Um, but right afterwards, right after the ceremony, uh, the two nights of ceremony, there's a Dharma talk that's given. <clears throat> and so the Friday evening after the ceremony, uh, we'll all, the group of people going out to Tassajara for Sangha week, will all be coming back to Austin together. And then on uh, Saturday morning, we'll have the Dharma talk. And so the first Dharma talk will be here 
Peter Austin, which I feel is very, very, it's just perfect. Um, after that, we are launching into our spring practice period here. And for those of you who've never done a practice period, it's a, it's a gathering of our intentions with other people as a, to get together and make a commitment to one's practice within a group. And we kind of go through the practice period together. Usually our practice periods here are about six weeks. We have one in the fall, which is a pretty large practice period, and then a smaller one, a shorter one in the spring, although I think this one in the spring is gonna be um, pretty robust with offerings. So the first thing that we're gonna do during that practice period is uh, we'll have an opening ceremony on a Wednesday, the 25th, I think, of August, August of April. And then that weekend, we have a uh, visiting teacher, Reverend Kokyo Henkel from the Santa Cruz Zen Center. He's gonna come and lead what's called a Genzoe Sashin, which is a study Sashin on a particular Dogen fascicle. And he's going to be, he's chosen to use the fascicle, uh, this very mind is Buddha. So that's gonna be a three-day retreat that kicks off that practice period. And then we'll end the practice period with a four-day retreat. And in between those two longer retreats, we'll have like a one-day sit and a couple classes, different uh, practice period gatherings where we get together and talk about our practice. Some people may elect to give Waysimi mind talks during that time. So it's a time for uh, many people. One of the main questions that people come to ask me about is how do I, how do I jump into my practice or how can I develop my practice? How can I get more involved? Right, where do I start? And I would say that coming to the Zendo and sitting, that's a good place to start. But then it can be very hard. It can be very hard to be consistent to come to the Zendo and sit. Sometimes people find it easier to, um, it's easier to do that when you go into a monastery situation or if you become a resident at a Zen center because it's part of your schedule, right? Now, for people who wanna up their practice but don't wanna live in a Zen center or can't live in a Zen center or have other obligations, coming for a practice period uh, is a wonderful way of deepening one's practice and examining one's intention with other people. So that will be starting soon. Um, and then, <clears throat> The other thing that I wanted to mention is in this preliminary practices that I will be go undergoing, not only the walking around and offering incense at various altars to various uh, uh, bodhisattvas and buddhas um, and doing the bows, but also I will be doing some transcriptions. This is a big practice in Buddhism, the practice of transcribing sutras, of actually writing out the words of, say, for example, the Heart Sutra, right? In a in a form where you're you're actually in a zazen posture. It's not just kind of like you're sprawled out somewhere and writing. It's more like you're sitting in a upright posture. Um, maybe you light some incense. Maybe you offer bows beforehand. It's it's kind of like you yourself are preparing the ground for waking up. Right now, do we need to prepare the ground? No, of course not. We can wake up like that, right? We know who needs to prepare. However, sometimes it's helpful 
right? Sometimes it adds, it gives us a little bit of a extra motivation, something. And if we do that with other people, if we join with others and we sit down together and copy out sutras together, there's a little bit of an extra oomph. We, we build on each other's energy, right? And so I will be starting that practice as well during this whole 21 days leading up to the ceremony. Um, and I will, uh, once I have a schedule for that, I'll let you all know, but everyone is invited to join in with me on any of those practices. Um, so I hope that you do. Um, are there any questions? We have a couple minutes before, uh, I wanted to end early so we could have our community, our community committee, membership committee meeting. Yes, Peter. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Marco. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am 75. <laughs> it's all that Zen practice. <laughs> Are there any other questions? It's a tough one to follow. <laughs> yes, when does the 21 days begin? So the 21 days will begin next weekend. So the actual ceremony will probably take place on the 18th, the night of the 18th, last ceremony. So it will be 21 days before that. And do we sign up or will there be a place if we yes. want to help you? Okay. Yes, I will come up with in the next week. So one of the things that um, I'm going to be stepping away from a lot of the administrative duties of running the temple. So please uh, be patient if things seem like they're falling apart. A little bit in terms of like sign up sheets and things like that start to show up. But yeah, I'll be stepping away and part of what I'm going to try and do over this next week is set things up so that there's a minimal disruption from my going into this alternate reality of bowing hundreds of times a day, writing, uh, writing out sutras, offering incense, walking around doing these various practices. So I'll, I will come up with a, um, a detailed sign-up sheet with specific you know, slots for you know, somebody to carry the bowing mat, somebody to carry the incense, the incenser, that there'll be a tray, um, somebody to ring a bell, and the t different times. And then as for the copying the sutras, um, how many of you have ever done that as a practice? A little bit? Yeah, anyone else? So imagine before the printing press <laughs> that uh, how, you would, how you would manage having uh, sutras is you recite them, you memorize, right? You memorize teachings. For how many centuries was it that the Buddha's lectures, his discourses, were committed to memory until they were written down and then they were copied and copying sutras, copying the words of the Buddha, right? copying the words of the, uh, the commentaries, 
um, was a practice. And um, you engage a different part of your brain when you're writing something out, right? You're forced to slow down a little bit than when you're skimming or reading. And then if you, if you turn the whole event into its own ceremonial space, it has a whole different weight to it, right? And it enters your consciousness in a different pathway, in a different way. So, um, yeah, so if you haven't ever done it, um, there will be opportunities every single day during this 21 days to come in and sit down and, and copy out sutras. We'll have sutras that people can copy. You can bring your favorite sutra. I would recommend um, starting with something that's short, <laughs> like maybe the, the, uh, the Heart Sutra or the Fukan Zazengi or the Genja Koan, one of the, one of the shorter things um, to copy out in your best handwriting. Now, who handwrites anything anymore? This is like, this is a huge practice. <laughs> Any other last minute questions? I wanted to say something about the nursery. Not yes. just for small children, but isn't a nursery a place where you put plants that you want to have them grow? Yes. I thought that was a nice yes. metaphor for the zatsu. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be careful, I mean, I think also that the, this feeling of being in a nursery is that you recognize that these are little buds that are growing, right? And so you're gentle. You're careful with these fresh little buds that are growing into plants, right? And uh, I've been speaking a little bit about what is what does it mean to have a cult? What is our culture in a Zen center? What's a Zen culture? And I think that's a good piece of it right there is that we're careful with one another, right? Not careful in the sense of uh, you know walking on eggshells, careful, but careful in the sense of uh, respectful, right? Deeply respectful deeply kind um, and loving, right? We want to nurture each other, nurture everyone, anyone, whether they're here or outside or wherever, to wake up, to wake up, to find that relaxation, to find peace and joy, right? And, where, and how magnificent and marvelous that there's a space where we can all do that together. So I'm very happy to be able to share this with you and um, for you to share it with me. Thank you. <laughs>